There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10 and Grant's microbiome. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, 27-year veteran of the NYPD. And with me tonight, retired NYPD detective and straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing good, Billy, and I'm glad to see that you're feeling better. You look uh, pretty good. Feeling a little bit better. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. I'll, I'll get there, and then uh, you guys will know when I'm there, but uh, I'm getting there. Folks, it's been one year since the beginning of the Summerwell's missing person case. And this case has baffled all of us. I thought when it first occurred that it was going to be a quick solving to this case, that it was going to, she was going to be recovered earlier, but it was going to be a happy ending. Here we are one year later and seemingly nothing. And of course, you know, when you go over investigations, there's been thousands of canvases, there's been thousands of this, there's been thousands of interviews, there's been a thousand tips. I'm just using the number of thousand, let's be more like hundreds, hundreds of tips, investigators have follow up. This has been like one of the biggest investigations in Tennessee history. The TBI is involved, the FBI, the Hawkins County Police, hundreds and thousands of volunteers, and still we don't seem any closer to finding young Summer Wells. Early on in the investigation, uh, Phil and I, uh, and I won't even uh, talk for Phil, I'll talk for myself. I felt that the answer in this case is Don and Candace Wells. And I still believe that to this day. However, investigative direction, if there is one, hasn't been communicated to the public. We don't know which direction the Hawkins County police are going in investigatively, the TBI, the FBI, we don't know specifically. We did get a couple of hints from the press conference. I'm going to play the press conference after I uh, toss this to Phil for a second, but we got a couple of hints and we're going to talk about that later. But uh, after I toss this to Phil, I'm going to go to the press conference. Go ahead, Phil. Billy, it's been a year, a very frustrating year. I pulled out all of my notes because we did quite a number of shows on uh, on this case. And obviously, around 18.30 hours, around 6.30 p.m. on June 15th, that's when the police were called. That's when they apparently noticed that someone was missing. There's just a, a whole big timeline. I'm not going to go through it all. Um, it's very frustrating because you and I both have felt that uh, the answer to this mystery lies with the parents. That was our contention right from the beginning. They both looked to be, appeared to be uh, drug abusers, alcohol abusers, whatever the case may be. The story that they put forward in the days following June 15th, 2021, just had a lot of holes in it. You and I saw through it. Uh, however, uh, there was different things that took place uh, with the investigation. Um, you know, they alleged to have taken a polygraph and stuff like that on our uh, uh, request, we had said numerous times that we felt the other children should be uh, taken out of the home. Uh, sure enough, within the days following that, we had said that several times on air, the other children were removed. What was the information garnered from the interviews of those children? What was the information garnered 
on the inf- uh, the interview of the grandmother. What other information is there? Is there any physical evidence? Is there any video evidence? They're not releasing much, but, uh, you know, it's just very, very frustrating. And Bill and I have both felt that had a hot, a good, hard, solid interview been done early on in this vic- investigation separately with both Candace and Don, perhaps there would have been some... Uh, forthcoming uh, information that would have led to the, uh, you know, the conclusion of this case. You know, one of the, the only thing that really uh, bothers me having been a, uh, an investigator for 16 years out of my 27 and, and run major homicide investigations and missing person cases. The thing that baffles me the most is that either Don and Candace know the answer to this or both of them, but it baffles me as to how, they could withhold this information for this long. And that's the only thing that gives me pause is that they either know the information and are very good at withholding it or they don't know. it. And that's where I'm a little twisted, but I still, I, I have to believe since none of the investigators believe and we'll play the um, press conference that this was an abduction. What does that leave? That leaves that Don and Candace could they have given Summer away a day or hours before they reported this? And only the person that they gave Summer to knows about this, as Candace as well. Could that be? But could she keep her mouth shut for this long? That's what gives me pause in this case. Absolutely, Billy. And I just want to go over one quick thing that I did see in the past. Uh, there was interviews by... Dr. Phil, and there was also body language experts. And even those people, uh, they're not expert homicide investigators, however, or, you know, missing person investigators, which this case is actually classified as a missing person. We don't know that she's dead or alive. So, but uh, the bottom line is, is that they even came to the same conclusion that uh, Candace is withholding information. Uh, Don is well. It seems everything seems to lead right back to them. So uh, again, the the investigation now, from what you're going to play on this uh, latest press conference, again uh, leads no uh, indication into a abduction or anything like that. So why don't we play it and then we'll uh, we'll talk about it on the other side. Okay. Evidence has been collected, searched, and documented. This includes the social media accounts of those associated with Summer. Three large ground searches have taken place in the last year with the assistance of more than 100 local, state, and federal agencies. Those searches do not account for the numerous targeted searches done by agents and detectives as they were following up on potential leads. From TBI alone, more than 100 agents, intelligence analysts, and support staff from across the state have been involved in this case. TBI agents working alongside the Hawkins County Sheriff's Office and the FBI have conducted nearly 170 interviews during the investigation. That does not count the hundreds of phone calls made to follow follow up on tips reported to law enforcement. While investigators have been diligently working to find answers, they've had to deal with thousands of tips generated by false information that in some cases has been intentionally spread across social media platforms. We know that this case has attracted the attention of individuals across the country who genuinely care about Summer and want nothing more but to help us find answers. We appreciate those people. However, we are also aware that there are some people, 
using this case for their own personal gain by spreading false information on social media posts as facts. Some go as far as to solicit donations. This has had a major impact on the investigation and not in a good way. Moving forward, we ask the public not to submit tips as a result of a video they viewed on YouTube or a theory they've seen posted on Facebook. Please help us and only call if you have direct specific information about the disappearance of Summer. This investigation weighs heavily on us all and I can promise you that no one wants answers more than we do. And we are not going to stop until that happens. I'm gonna turn it over to Sheriff Tony Lawson. You know, folks, I just wanna say something that, um, see they directly pointed the finger at social media, at, you know, um, sites like mine, sites like, uh, well, they're called content uh, providers, right? And, I think we try, we tried on police off the cuff real crime stories to keep it real and to not put out rumor or innuendo or, or pass on information that we didn't have vetted. But that's not true. So when you're in a major investigation, there's something called a tips lock. And hundreds, sometimes thousands of tips get called in. Every single tip has to be investigated. And so you can imagine when false tips comes in, come in, the investigators are spinning their wheels and just they have to investigate this to close it out. And the, as outrageous as the tip may be, they still have to check it out and investigate it. Other things like uh, Internet rumors, uh, they have to be closed out. I remember even as a homicide running homicide investigations in Manhattan North, if the media came up with some idea about a case, we'd have to go and talk to them. And who gave you that information? to close and slam the door on it. Because what if the information turned out to be true and we didn't investigate it? We would be remiss in our duties. Bill? Billy, I got to tell you that uh, tips are so very, very, very important. Obviously, you never know when that phone is going to ring and it's going to be the tip that's going to lead to the conclusion of the case. However, uh, post 9-11, I was in the intelligence division and we took all the leads and tips that came in. And a lot of times they would be very frivolous. You know, uh, I saw a Middle Eastern man and he looked at me funny and they wanted, you know, us to investigate it. So a lot of times we would go out. We knew from just reading the lead that a, a lot of times it was a waste of time. However, there were other times where we documented people and we were able to put them on no fly lists. So listen, if there's a tip that you have and it's relative to this investigation, by all means, notify law enforcement. But if you hear someone spouting their theory or their opinion on something through social media and you're going to, you know, post a tip based on that, that could be a waste of time. I would say don't do that. However, tips are very, very, very important. Good morning. As Leslie mentioned, we didn't expect this case to be going on a year later. It's heartbreaking to me and my officers and the entire community. We've never stopped looking for summer. We'll continue to do so. There's never been a case in the history of Hawkins County Sheriff's Office that officers working 365 days and had so many hours spent. We had an investigation. Also, this office never utilized so many different local, state, and federal agencies from across the state. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, 
Federal Bureau of Investigation to assist us in every step of this investigation. As you heard Leslie say, thousands of hours have been invested in finding summer, thousands of them, 170 interviews have been done. Many of these individuals have spoken to more than one time. Well, we haven't said a lot about details about the investigative actions that's taken place, please know that we've never stopped. I think we appreciate the many rescue squads, the EMAs, and the volunteer fire departments for their help and support from the city. You know, folks, he goes into in the press conference thanking all these different units, talking about numbers, how many canvases they did, how many. So that doesn't help us. I just want to uh, enumerate what's going on with this investigation. All right. I think Duty Ron, uh, Crime Time with Duty Ron, has done an outstanding job in coverage of this case. And he also got involved with uh, Midwest Equisearch with Dave Rader, that actually searched uh, numerous times uh, for summer. And I've personally spoken to Dave Rader, and one of the things he said right at the beginning of the, the investigation, he said there's no way she was kidnapped. The window of opportunity was too small. We were there so quickly, we would have found her. And he said that early on in the investigation. So when I hear them saying this now, um, it's nothing new to me. It's nothing new to me. But then where does that bring us to? And that's what's so frustrating. Now, I would love to sit down with um, the investigators on this case. You know, um, Sheriff Ronnie Lawson, uh, the main uh, Derek Newport, who's the case detective, and just ask them, what is your investigative direction? Which way are you going and why? Some of the investigative, we don't have the investigative results of interviews. Apparently, Don and Candace were... were uh, polygraphed numerous times. All we hear about as laymen out here is that, oh, they passed. We don't know the details of that. How do we know they passed? You know, are you believing what they tell you? Are the results of their interviews, are they matching up to timelines? Are they matching up to uh, telephone data? Are they matching up to computer data? How about the results of interviews with family, with friends, with church members, with people that live in the vicinity. I would like to know the, the answers to those questions, but that's a frustrating thing for someone on the outside looking in. They have been very tight-lipped, boom, with this case. And I think after a year, they can probably loosen up their lips a little bit and let the public know a little bit more to garner the help from the public that they surely need. Because a year went by in a missing person case. That's That's forever. That's a long, long time. Could some still be found alive? Absolutely. Absolutely. But use the public. Get the public to help you. Thousands of eyes are better than two or four or six or eight or ten eyes. Use the public. Billy, a little quick uh, note about polygraphs. Polygraphs are only good as the person that's given the polygraph. So who gave this polygraph? Was it uh, done by law enforcement agency or was it done by a private agency? That's one. Number two, it's not admissible in court because it's not foolproof. It's not 100%. The other thing is that people that use narcotics or alcohol during a polygraph, it's going to give a you know very, very uh, 
unreliable reading. So the polygraph is not something that I'm relying on in this particular case. I think the good old fashioned interviewer, good old fashioned detective work, legwork, that's what needed to be done on this case right from the beginning, hard interviews. And I think we would have had uh, some better results. And when it got talking about uh, content providers, and it seemed like he was bashing people that provide content on YouTube. I want to read out a uh, somebody in the chat, crime soap opera. She said, talking about the Gabby Petito case, Gabby was found from a tip from a YouTuber. Why would they not want tips? Is there more to the request than we are aware of possibly? Very good point. The Bethunes were the ones that led to uh, Gabby Petito's body being found uh, at the time that it was found. Uh, had they not been plugged in through YouTube, uh, paying attention to what was going on in the case, her body may have never been found. So that's a great point. And again, uh, tips are very, very important in most uh, missing person cases, as well as homicide investigation. We always welcome information from the public. It's not something that we want to turn our nose to. There are the crazies that do things for different reasons and give you, you know, bullshit tips in plain English, but those have to be looked at it as well. And we try to caution people only if it's relevant to the investigation. You know, one of the things, Phil, that I've always said uh, as a homicide investigator is that you usually only get one shot at a big interview because if you blow it, then the person who you were interviewing, they feel like they beat you. They beat you in that game of wits. They beat you in that game of not telling the truth. And now they have the upper hand. So is that what happened in this case? Or do they do they know, do the investigators know that, in fact, Don and Candace are not telling the truth, but they don't have anything to challenge them with? That's the other thing. You need a truth to challenge a falsehood. You know, and, and without the truth, it's very difficult to challenge the falsehood. I want to put a little bit of, this is the earliest interview, and everyone, I apologize, I know everyone's seen this a million times, but this is... Uh, Candace's body language, her demeanor, I think the day of or the day after this happened. I feel in my heart that somebody has came up here and took her and has lured her away from here. Me and my mother and her were planting flowers. And we went in after we got done washing our hands and she got a piece of candy from grandma and she wanted to go back over and see her brothers. And I said, okay. And I walked her all the way over to the porch. And I watched her walk into the kitchen where the boys were watching TV. And I told the boys, I said, watch Summer. I'll be back. And within two minutes, I came back. And I asked the boys where their sister was. And they said, she went downstairs, Mom, to play with her toys in the playroom. I said, okay. So this was supposed to believe this all happened within two minutes. She disappeared all within two minutes. No one knows where she went all within two minutes. And I yelled downstairs for her a couple times, and I didn't get no answer, which was unusual because usually she always answers me. And so I went down there to check, and she was nowhere in sight. She was just gone. I don't go on walks around here or runs because I'm scared of the bears and snakes and even the coyotes that are around here. Well, whoever has my daughter, I pray and hope that they have not harmed her and they bring her back to us safe and sound.
just turned, I mean, go to the FBI, the police, and uh, clear it up. And then, I don't know, it seems kind of elusive. It's really strange that I've never seen this truck, and I've never heard of it until just recently. But I wish they would come forward and explain themselves. And if you're not a suspect, they at least come forward and say what you've seen. She was a tomboy. I shaved my head. She wanted to have her head shaved like me and the boys did. She tried to shave her head. She tried in to the shave back her head and, and make it. Uh, I think you can see it in some of the pictures. And it was getting out of control. So she, we decided to shave her head off and let it grow back long. And she shaved her head to... To, so she wouldn't feel bad, and uh, but but it didn't bother her at this point. Well, we knew I knew right away that she was abducted. You know, I knew that right away, and that's what I told them from the beginning. But they have to they have to go through their you know I forget the word investigation. They have to do one step at a time, I guess. But I'm sorry that they had to spend so many man hours in these woods. You know, Phil, going back to that, that, I mean, I remember all these interviews so well. And people up in the chat said, uh, what was she high on? She was high on something. She definitely oh, is, sure, was taking sure. some substance. She was definitely high. Her, she wasn't high on life. That's for sure. It contorted her face, you know, the way she spoke, her words were slurred. But I thought that was also very strange about him saying, I knew right away she was abducted. Where did he get that from? You know? Anyone that deals with people and interviewing and truth and, and body language, that was a very strange thing to say. I knew that she was abducted right away. How did you know that? You know, was that followed up? I mean, how did you know that? Billy, they were both trying to lead that reporter and probably the investigators to believe that she was abducted. Now, here's what I, my tactic or my uh, plan that I would have approached this case uh, had I been the first detective on the scene was I would have let them tell me the story and I would have taken that in as much information as possible from them. And then at some point, and it probably wouldn't have been more than an hour or two of them telling the story while search is going on, I would have separated them and I would have either eliminated them as suspects or made them tell the truth. One of the two would have happened along with other detectives. Obviously I couldn't have done this all by myself, but had they been separated early on, but you first have to take in as much information as possible. Where were you? What did you do? When was the last time you saw her? Where were you Don, when, when Candace called you, what was going on? And now you have, solid, solid interviews. Now you're going to be able to punch holes in those interviews. And why do they keep saying that she was abducted? How do they know this if they don't know what happened to her? You know what I mean? So again, now in the beginning of the investigation, I would rather alienate them and have them not cooperate me if they tell me, no, I had nothing to do it and walk away from it because we're at the same juncture that we were one year ago today or yesterday from when this case was first reported. So I want to do it from the beginning. And listen, if I don't get a Christmas card at the end of the year, <laughs> because I pissed somebody off, that's okay because I'm doing it for the victim, for, for the missing person, for Summer Weld. So that's, that's what needed to be done. And listen, I'm not saying 100% it would have worked out had it been gone down that way, but I think that that would have been the right tack to take 
On but you know, Phil, yeah. like I said before, when a detective loses the game of wits with a suspect or a defendant, it's very difficult to get back on top again. You lost. Exactly. exactly. I don't think, you know, unless they bring someone else in. And that was a tactic I would use numerous times. I would watch my detectives in the interview room. We used to call it the box. And I would see two guys going at it with someone and they weren't getting anywhere. And I didn't like to, uh, to interrupt an interview at all costs. I wouldn't accept when I saw someone hit a brick wall. Then I would walk in and I'd say, guys, can I talk to you outside? I'd bring him out and I'd say, you know, it doesn't seem like you guys are, have established a rapport with this guy. Do you think you're going to be able to get the confession? Confession, And more times than not, they'd say, Sarge, you're 100% right. Well, we're exhausted. We didn't seem like we had a good rapport with this guy. If you want to put someone else in there, you go ahead. We're okay with it. And they were cool because I didn't destroy their ego. I didn't destroy them as a detective. And I brought someone in that was fresh, that knew the case. And boom, the guy goes in there half hour later. He had a full confession, you know, and that's what you got to watch. And as I said, when a detective goes at two people like this, and if they don't establish superiority right away and they don't get what they're looking to get, it's over. It's over. So you may have to put someone new in that box, someone new that may have a better rapport, someone new that that may be able to get the confession. Loved everybody in that church or she loves everybody in that church. I should rephrase that because they'll tear that apart as past tense. And I apologize again for that. I hope she gets to come home, you know, and I hope she gets to be with our church family again. Our best friend in that yeah. church was Robin. She loved yeah. her to death. Yeah. She looked up to when women that were. She come to that church. She went looking for Robin. That was her favorite person. Any woman that, uh, was professional that was pretty yeah beautiful. she looked up to those kind of women she you know they were uh how do you, the word i'm looking for i can't think of it but she looked up to them she'd give them a run for their money every day she'd give them a run for their money and there was times you know we'd we'd be you know that our boys like don't do this and don't do that and next thing you know the stick would come up and just whop them, you know, and be like, Summer, don't do that. You Summer know? was the boss of the family. Yeah, she's she typical girl. When they get on a line, she'd put them in line. She'd do her best. She'd love to play in the mud and the water and swing on her swing and enjoy dirt. When I was when I run the lawnmower around, she she would run behind me. When the boys run their bikes around, she as fast as that little bike could go. She would be behind them running and keeping up with them, no problem. You know, she loved to run. She just loved to run. And uh, she could pull herself up on that swing, her full body weight with her two hands. And she could do that. None of the other boys can do that, but she can. Was she at school yet? No, no. she's going this year. This was supposed to be her first year. She's been, uh, I did all the what? I took care of everything. Yeah. She. Folks, just as an informational, this is a year ago. So she was five. She would be six right now. It's a full year away. So she never got to go to school. I believe that would have been kindergarten uh, for the age of five. So this year, she probably would be going into first grade. Um, so this is this is where we started the investigation. And when you talk about all the things that an investigation entails... And what we learn a lot on the NYPD is something called victimology. 
And what that is, is a study of the background of the victim. In this case, of course, you would study little Summer because she's uh, only five years old. You know, who does she have contact with? Who's in her family? Her parents, her grandparents, her brothers, uh, her church. Who does she have contact with? But at the same time, we would look deeply, deeply into Candace and Don. And of course, in doing this, they found out some really egregious things about about both of them. Um, one of the, they had a domestic violence history. I, I think I have a little note here uh, on the screen. Uh, this is from a domestic violence report that Candace uh, filed against Don. He drinks and throws things. I'm afraid of being hurt. He is abusive physically and mentally uh, toward me. I'm afraid for my children and myself. My mother fears he is going to hurt her because she's staying in her camper on the property. So there's a history there. And not just he had a history with other things. And I don't want to get into the uh, the other part of it right now because it, we don't have that much time to dig into it. But many people, content creators on YouTube, have dug into his background. And it gets a little bit ugly, you know. And, and on the same, on the other side, there were people on uh, YouTube who defended Don and Candace. You know, amateur investigators, amateur content providers. Not that, you know, I don't know if there's professional content providers, but let's call them amateur investigators that never worked for a police department, never worked as a detective or any kind of investigator that were making these allegations and just, you know, coming to the defense of two people who were the main players in the case of a five-year-old at the time missing a little girl named Summer Wells. Yeah, Billy. Uh, the, the whole twists and turns on this case, uh, some of the things that jump out at me is specifically the day of the disappearance, the things that they did prior to her being reported missing. They went to pick up narcotics. They were at the emergency room. Uh, the narcotics were for, for the grandmother who had injured her knee or something to that effect. And then they went to the watering hole and, and someone consumed alcoholic beverages. Candace didn't say it at first and she did. She didn't admit to it. So there was enough in the early stages of this investigation that I think could have been uh, used to punch holes in their story. And I don't know till this day if they were ever actually accused by the investigators as of being involved in the disappearance of Little Summer. So again, they, they would they would have to be confronted. Uh, it would probably, in my opinion, it would have been done in the first, you know, within the first 24 hours for sure. And like I said, I would either eliminate them uh, or possibly make them, you know, uh, be suspect to, uh, you know, the disappearance of someone. And if, if I eliminated them and they didn't want to cooperate anymore and they lawyered up, that's okay too, because then we can do our investigation that we're going to do anyhow. But I just feel that, uh, had it been done in the beginning of the investigation, I mean, that's, listen, we have in the NYPD, when we were uh, on the job, we had the, the luxury of having a lot of detectives around us. We had a lot of manpower. We had a lot of resources. Maybe they didn't have it. I don't know. But at some point, that's what should have been done. They should have been confronted, separated. Uh, even the grandmother, you know, th th there's information that could be uh, put forward from uh, the children, the grandmother, and Candace and Donna. I'm sure of it. Absolutely. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button. It's free. Give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. If you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. 
And we also have a YouTube. You can be a channel member. We have five different levels on that. This is still, to me, a confounding case. Uh, nothing easy about it. I'm not going to criticize anyone investigating. Nothing easy about this case at all. I had her already took them all of her shots and registered in the school for ready for this year. I just never expected for anyone to get a hold of my heart like she has because I try to guard my heart as much as I can, but she just, she's, she holds my heart in her little hands. And I love her with all my heart. I'd do anything to have her back. If there's any way if you can find it in your heart to please release her somehow. I don't know how you might do that. I mean, I'm, you're probably scared of going to prison for the rest of your life and everything else, I'm sure. But please find it in your heart. Have mercy and find a way of letting her go and, and where we can get her back. And uh, just please have mercy on her and, you know, and us and her, her brothers. And she's such a loving, good spirit. Please. Please don't hurt her. Please let her come home. That she's my biggest fear is, you know, her being tormented or locked in a, a dungeon or basement or something. Cause she loves she loved to be outside all the time. And that's that was her unfortunately her you know, her downfall because a lot of times we the boys would be inside and we'd be like, Where's Summer? Why'd you leave her out there alone? You know, go get summer now, you know, and that's happened over and over again. And uh, we'd come out and she would always be close by, but we was always coming. She had to be outside. She was an outdoor person. And she she loved to be outside. Yep. You know, and I just, I'm so afraid that she's locked away. She's such a loving heart and everything. And I'm afraid that she won't be able to, you know, I'm locked away where she can't be outside or play with a puppy or anything, love nature, you know, you know, and it's, it's, that's my greatest fear that she's not able to do I'm any sure of these things anymore or, or that she could possibly, you know, I, I, I don't want to think she's dead, but it's a possibility. I don't want to address all the negativity. I just want to focus on the positive because it's so easy to get, you know, lost in that negativity and stuff, and it's just not worth it. So I'm just, uh, I appreciate y'all, the good things you say and, uh, and your prayers. That's awesome. When my sister came up missing, I was in between Arkansas and Tennessee. I don't know all of what happened or what did happen, but I hope that they find her too. And bring her home safely too. Oh, yeah, there's no, there's nothing. That, I mean, she disappeared without a trace. They haven't found anything. Haven't found a body. Nothing. And and you know, when you see cases like that, that's what, why I lose hope on summer. You know, I want to keep hope, but sometimes I just, I, I, I just, I lose hope. Lose it. And I think, well, maybe we won't never see her again. You know. So that's a good part of the interview uh, that occurred approximately a year ago. Um, 
disturbing interview, I thought. So many red flags in that interview. I let's we could forget about that interview right now. Uh, you're running this investigation, Phil. Where do we go today, June 16th, 2022? They, uh, TBI, Leslie Earhart insists this is not a cold case, which implies to me they have direction. They have investigative uh, things to do. They're going, they're moving forward with this case. Where, where we go with this case, Phil? Your sound's off. It's still off. Got it? Got me now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's not a cold case if they're working on it every day, obviously. So it's I wouldn't consider it a cold case at all. But what direction are they going? And we don't have uh, privilege to the case folder. We don't know what they're doing exactly. But there's, there's a lot of little things. There's a lot of little red flags here that are popping up. Uh, one of the things, for instance, that we found out early on in the investigation that this, this kid that was with them, uh, I, I think they referred to him as H., uh, during the day before she was reported missing, uh, that he told the investigators that they had this uh, twisted tea or some type of alcoholic beverage. And then Candace went and told him after the, the that someone was reported missing, not to talk about that. Don't tell them about that. So there's lies that were uh, perpetrated right in the beginning that I think, uh, you know, you can impeach what she told you based on stuff like that. Um, today, I would think that, you know, um, Obviously, searches, uh, I'd be conducting searches and doing grid searches in an area that they believe that she could possibly be in. Uh, interviews, obviously, of anyone with following up with tips that are coming in. And, you know, we never really found out any cell phone information. There was a cell phone picture taken of uh, Summer on the day that she disappeared when she was in the backseat of the car. Where was that cell phone when that picture was taken? Was it in the location that Candace says it was? Well, that I believe she said that was taken while she was in the backseat while they were at a supermarket. So the cell phone technology can tell you where the cell phone was when that picture was taken. Uh, any video surveillance technology uh, would be enlisted. I would be checking, you know, the drugstore that they were in, the supermarket they were in. What are, were those things done? I'm sure they were. This is a year later. You have the TBI, you have the FBI, and you have the local Hawkins County Sheriff's Office working on it. So I'm sure that those things would be done. And then here's something that I would do if it was today. Uh, I, a, a, a homicide case that I worked on back in the 90s was solved because of a re-canvas. A re-canvas canvas is when we knock on doors and we talk to people and we uh, you know, look for information on a specific uh, incident. And on a re-canvas, six months after a homicide, a knock on a door, the door opened, and the woman just about pulled the detectives in and said, listen, I've been waiting for you guys to come back. Already interviewed, interviewed minutes after the body was discovered, but now had like this conscious uh, came about her and she gave up the who, would, who the perpetrator was. We had an idea who he was, but she put it all together. So I would do a re-canvas of other people that were initially interviewed in the early stages of it, because you never know that person might have conscious. Now they may have saw something on the news. And, and again, the, the media, you, you talked about the media being important in these type of investigations. Where is the lead detective? Why is he not talking about this at least once a week on the news, giving updates, even if they're just going over the same stuff. That's what I'd be doing if I were on the case today, Billy. 
The lead detective is a gentleman named Derek Newport. And Phil, 100%, I agree with you. He's got to establish a better relationship with the press. He's got to get out there. He's got to get out into the community, hand out flyers. One of my favorite things is get into the um, get into the jails, get into the prisons, start talking to the inmates. What have you heard about this? Do you know anything about this? You know, people in prisons are the first to know things that are going on in the outside world, and they're looking to cut a deal. All right. So let's get into the prisons. Let's get out on the main roads. Let's hand out flyers. Help us help you. Let's get into the schools. Let's get into the churches. Let's address the masses at some of these Sunday ceremonies, these Sunday masses, Sunday uh, services. Let's get on. Let's get on the pulpit. Let's preach, preach. Let's ask for the information. Sometimes people don't give you the information unless you ask for it. So you got to get out there. The only way you could do it, and we call it in the NYPD, and Phil, you've heard this term a million times, ad nauseum, is we shake the tree. Shake the tree and see what falls out of that tree. And that's how you're going to find information. And when you shake the tree, you find information, you have questions. Questions give you answers. Answers give you more questions. And that's how you get there. That's how you build that building one brick at a time. And that's how an investigation works. So, yeah, is it is it tough to, to, to start all over? In essence, you got to keep investigation is a series of starting over and over and over again. When you don't get the results you want, you start over again. And you, you keep going and back. And that's why they call detectives gumshoes, because they wear out their shoes walking. Sometimes called the forgotten grievers, children like Summerwell's three older brothers impacted by family trauma. For the brothers ranging in age from 7 to 13, a double trauma. First, Summer's highly publicized disappearance, and then just weeks later, their removal from their home and placement in state custody, where those brothers of Summer Wells have now spent nearly a year themselves. We talked about this with local therapist Julie Burks. She said intensive counseling in these cases, cases like this, is a must. I can tell you if my heart's broken, I'm feeling sad, or I'm really ticked off because, you know, I'm missing this person or whatever. Whereas a child doesn't always have the tools yet or experience of life to understand and how to cope with that in a healthy way. Burke says children who get enough therapy and complete it can become very resilient and move forward and have a great life. Again, Summer Wells still missing tonight. If you have credible tips, call 1-800-TBI-FIDE. You see, folks, you notice in that in that little report, they said credible tips. Yep. So they're not the only police organization that gets incredible tips. We got them on the NYPD, too. And guess what? We had to investigate every single one of them. That's just part of it. And many of the tips you get, yeah. Well, you could see why from with, with the Internet and social media, it's probably driving them out of their mind because these tips are just going off the charts and they're getting tips that have nothing to do with anything. Phil, let's go to a quick commercial here. Joe Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, no. Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. 
You know, earlier on in the uh, in the broadcast, they they had showed that Don had uh, sent a uh, like a letter to TV news stations. I'm going to play a little bit of this, and it's his thoughts uh, reaching out to Summer at the year point. Overnight, Summer's father, Don Wells, issued a statement regarding the one-year mark of his daughter's disappearance. Wells issued the statement through the family's website and YouTube channel. He said in part, quote, with so many thoughts of people harming you, and I know you want to come home, and there's nothing I can do. I'm powerless, end quote. Now, where Summer is and what exactly happened to her still remains a mystery this morning, one year later. Searches have continued throughout the year by local officials, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, and volunteer groups. So, folks, that's, uh, you know, that's where the case is today. Very, very difficult. Uh, again, you know, investigation is just a series of starting over again. And uh, I believe the TBI and the Hawkins County de detectives, the FBI, I think they have to retool. I think they have to go out there and come up with um, some new strategies. Uh, absolutely be a little more transparent than they've been and reach out to the public, get the public to help you more because I don't see a hell of a lot of help coming from the public. And I think that you, you got to utilize the public in a case like this because it's just so important. As I said, you know, you see something, say something, you've got thousands of eyes out there. Don't limit it to just police eyes. Let's get all the public working on this case. Let's shake the tree. Let's find out information out there. Uh, Phil, what do you think? Well, Billy, you brought up a good point earlier when you talked about the uh, informants in jails, people in jail. Uh, there's liaisons in the jails that work with the prosecutor's office. When I uh, had my time in a 6-0 squad in Coney Island, there were two particular cases. One was a very high-profile case. It was a murder of a uh, uh, freshly retired sergeant from the NYPD. And another case, both homicide same liaison in the jail, talking to the inmates. What do you got? You know, guys looking for uh, whether they wanted a visitation with a, a loved one or they were trying to get their bail lowered or they were trying to get some privileges in jail. Uh, what do you got to give me? Sure enough, on two specific cases, both solved based on that information that come out of the jail. So that's a great point, Billy. Uh, anytime that narcotics is making arrests or any type of uh, enforcement's being done, Everyone involved uh, that's being arrested in that area should be debriefed regarding summer welds, obviously. And uh, again, like you said, the tips are uh, very, very important. Uh, I like the idea of handing out the flyers, Billy. Uh, you know, uh, the year just passed. They should have gone into the area where she was reported missing and, you know, plastered the whole area with flyers because maybe there was a person that was in that area at the same time last year, saw something, didn't realize it. It triggers a memory and they could come up with some uh, good information or a direction now. So all of those things are obviously very, very important and should be being done. I hope they are being done. And uh, let's just hope and pray that there could be some type of a conclusion to this case, whether it be some are being returned safe and sound, which I hope and pray that that happens, or just find out what her whereabouts are, what happened to little Summer. The search for Summer Wells continues this almost a year to the day that she disappeared. It's our top story tonight. Thanks for joining us. I'm Kelly Grossfield. Wells was five years old the day she went missing near her home in the Beach Creek community of Hawkins County. It's a story we've been following closely since the start. Take a good look. This is Summer. She was about four feet tall with blonde hair at the time of her disappearance. Last seen the night of June 15th. 
2021. Search crews continue to scour through Beach Creek in hopes of finding the child or at least clues leading to her whereabouts. Ansley Daniel was in Hawkins County today and has the latest on search efforts. A search group put on by the Wells Family Private Investigators had eyes on the ground and in the air today in the Beach Creek community almost a year later searching for Summer Wells. And today we hear from them for the first time. We have continually droned drug ponds, uh, foot searched since we started working. I would say that we've droned maybe a thousand acres, 1200 acres. Almost a year after Summer Wells was reported missing, people continue to search the area for any signs of the little girl. We, uh, we had permission to search uh, about 200 acres, uh, area that had not, according to the property owner, had not been searched well in the past or at all. Saturday, eight people, including a drone operator and the Wells private investigator, searched a property on the backside of Ben Hill Road. There were rumors of footprints and things that were found in the woods when Summer went missing. And, uh, you know, if you sort of look at that evidence and you look at the, the surrounding properties uh, and the direction those footprints were headed, it sort of gives you an idea of where to go look. Chris Storms with First to Deploy has been assisting CNC investigations in their searches. We also use a, uh, a Mavic 2 Pro that allows us to shoot in 20 megapixel. And we use that to run through a program called Locate. Locate can detect a, a color of a shirt from 200 feet in the air, even if it's the size of a quarter. The drones are not only used to map out the search area, but one even has an infrared camera that can detect non-recorded burials up to four years old. When you put someone in the ground, um, basically as, as they decompose and it kind of kills everything around it but as everything grows back over over time it flourishes it kind of creates a super fertile soil and what you can detect on your infrared is the different color of the ground that you couldn't normally see with the naked eye. Saturday's search also included a neighbor who says the environment is similar to how it was when Summer disappeared, but he still doesn't think she could be found in the area. It's a lot of ground to cover. It's very thick. I guess anything is possible. Once you've seen two solid weeks of so many people covering such a, an area so thoroughly, it doesn't seem likely but anything's possible. The private investigators typically put on a search like this once a month in the Ben Hill Road area surrounding the Wells family home. They tell me they will continue to do this until summer is found. So guys, you see that they're not giving up. Uh, they got private investigators, they got private folks searching. Uh, folks, we're gonna stay with this case as, as um, you know, we get new information. This is the first really uh, sort of the one year anniversary no smoking gun new information, but as we get and uh, new information, we will bring it to you. Phil, I just wanted to, before we close, I wanted to mention the two officers who were killed in California, if you don't mind doing the honors to this. Sure. Uh, in LA County, the El Monte Police Department, Corporal Michael Paredes, 22 years on the force, and Officer Joseph Santana, who was a rookie, less than a year on the job. Uh, both officers leave uh, a wife, uh, Michael Paradis leaves a wife with two kids, a daughter and a son, and Officer Santana leaves three kids, a daughter and twin sons. Uh, they responded to a stabbing at a motel. It was supposedly a 
domestic violence situation, which is always most dangerous in police work, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, disputing a possible stabbing. Once they were on the scene, they were met with gunfire, uh, inside the hotel room, uh, the gunfire, uh, the perp fled into the parking lot. There was uh, another gunfight in the parking lot. Both officers were wounded, taken to hospital, uh, and died as well as the perpetrator, which I hate to even say his name, but it's Justin Flores, who was on uh, on probation for gun possession. Uh, he had numerous arrests. Uh, he was recently arrested with a gun and drugs and this liberal, please, I don't even want to mention his name. He's a scumbag. George Gascon, the DA in uh, California, uh, made this statement that uh, the perpetrator, Justin Flores, would uh, in his uh, case where he was given two months probation, it was consistent with resolutions for the type of offense based on criminal history and the nature of the offense. I don't think that's any comfort to the families of those two hero police officers. There's a push right now. I believe they have about a half a million signatures to recall uh, George Gascon is the DA in that area. I think they need 600,000. So if you're in that area, sign that petition, get this guy out of office. His lax uh, crime policies have uh, led to the death of these two hero police officers that you see on the screen. Uh, it's terrible. Uh, this, this scumbag should have been in jail. However, he was given uh, a two month sentence and then probation. And he was uh, at this hotel uh, getting into a, a domestic violence argument with his girlfriend. And then he took the lives of those two hero police officers. God bless their souls and God bless their families. And may they find some peace and comfort and God bless all of our brothers and sisters in blue and all the first responders in this country. May they be safe and uh, let them get home to their families. You know, folks, uh, according to law enforcement today, the number of um, police officers killed in the line of duty has been going up steadily for the last couple of years, almost up like 60 or 70%, which is disturbing. And a lot of it has to do with this whole decarceral policies of many of these DAs that are um, supported by uh, left-wing billionaire George Soros. And uh, he, he actually was behind getting Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan district attorney elected. He gave his campaign $1 million dollars. And this whole decarceral, which simply means they don't want to put anyone in jail or in prison, is not good for society, in my opinion. You know, people getting arrested for guns multiple times and being bailed and going back out to shoot again and to possess. And so when they make these new gun laws, it's just putting a Band-Aid on an avulsion because they don't we don't need new laws. We need to prosecute and use the laws that we have. And I mean, I, I don't want to get back on my soap opera boxes. I can very easily do it. But just say a prayer for those officers and their families. And uh, folks, this is uh, Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. Thank you guys so much for listening tonight. Thank you if you uh, subscribe, uh, subscribing if you haven't. And thank everyone in the chat for all your support. Have a great night, everyone. Stay safe, everyone. One episode, just ain't enough.